0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. We as a community are an odd bunch. Truly. Truly. The church, both our individual community and globally, it is diverse and if you look around at any church on a given Sunday, you see people that you might think they don't, they don't really belong together, do they? How do they exist in this space? There are people you may not normally encounter in your day-to-day lives, in your school, in your jobs, in your community centers, in your hobbies. It's likely that, as we look around this church and we think about the federal election, that every political party could be represented in this place. What's more, the church provides a unique place where even Leafs and Habs fans can exist peacefully. And that is truly unique. And that is perhaps because we understand that the church is not so much about the building, it's not so much about the the walls and the, the rules and the things of organization and structure, but it's the people. It's the people that make up the church. The church is about names and faces, real flesh and blood. But still, it makes us ask the question of what is it that really draws all these different people with different ideas and worldviews and backgrounds and cultures and practices together to share in something the same on a Sunday morning? And it is because the church is us. The church is us as people brought together by Christ. And it was always the intention from the beginning the beginning of jesus's ministry that the church would be a gathering of different people that salvation would be extended to everyone and that every person could come into this space and participate in community without any barriers no survey at the front door checking to see your political ideologies which creeds and confessions perhaps you ascribe to it's a place where you can meet with christ and it's no secret that we have in our history been more prone to division than unity for there are really only two things that multiply by division amoebas in the protestant church for even on a drive into into hamilton My wife and I, we pass countless churches of countless denominations, never really doubling up. And perhaps it is because church became less about the people around it and more about the rules and the divisions and the barriers that we put between us and them. And so today we look at the withward rhythms. Alistair Stern adds this new dimension to our life Many other books I've read about our rhythms of life or understanding. They follow a pattern of upwards to God, inwards to ourselves, and then outwards to community. But before we get outwards and look at our community, Stern puts in another checkpoint, with the word. And these are the rhythms that happen within the church. Because if we are going to be effective ministers and outreach and evangelists into our community, It makes sense that we move out from a place of strength. That we come to know God through our upward rhythms. That we allow God to show us who we are through our inwards. And then knowing more of who God is, more of who we are, we can embrace our community, our church family, and grow and understand each other and learn and benefit and encourage. And then we get to go out. So in understanding what is expected of us as a church community, what better place to turn to than the book of Acts, the genesis of the church, the first time people gathered together to celebrate a risen Jesus Christ. But before we dive in into our text today, there's a warning. Alistair Stern warns of idealism that can sneak in as a disruptive guest into our gatherings as the church. That's because community and our withward rhythms They are interdependent on each other. But there is a distinct possibility that we can become dissatisfied, disinterested, downright upset with the way that other people conduct themselves in this place in our community. It is precisely because of how different each and every one of us are and have the potential to be that frictions can arise. That's not how I would do that. I would run things differently. I understood that Bible passage a little bit differently, and here's why I think you're wrong and cannot possibly be right. I know what church should be. We need to let that idealism take a back seat. We need to push it away, our thoughts of how exactly it should be, and be more open to accepting our congregation, our brothers and sisters in Christ, the community that is built around the unique individuals for what it is, not giving permission for every conceivable behavior, but focusing more on what's really important about our togetherness, and that is Christ. Also, when we look into the, books of, the book of Acts, we must be wary of looking back longingly. We must be wary of looking back and saying, they had the best vision, and they knew exactly how it should be and trying to model the nuts and bolts of our community after them. It doesn't just have to be the Book of Acts. We can look back in our lifetime or in generations past and we can point to a time that we think their community had it figured out. But as always, community is contextual. It is bound in time and in space and by its community members. For here at First Hamilton, this is not the same church that it was when it was started in the 20s. It's not even the same church that it was 10 years ago. It continues to change and develop and evolve as more people come and go from this place, as we grow and evolve and change. We're looking for characteristics, for practices, for understanding of what it meant to be together, not formulas of community. So with that in mind, looking to see what defined them transcendently, Let's look at the church in Acts. Because after Peter's first sermon, after the Holy Spirit has come on Pentecost, things get going in a hurry. Immediately before our text, it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a model of church growth! Could you imagine preaching one sermon and your church grows by 3,000 people? I don't think I have that capacity, but I'd be open to being surprised. So with this massive influx of people coming to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and embracing this newfound community, how did they structure themselves? What rhythms did they use to define themselves? And we find in this passage a set of tasks, a set of ideas and things that they held to. The teaching of the apostles, fellowship and breaking of bread. They were together. They gave to those in need. They met together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes. The first thing that jumps out to us, the first rhythm that this church engaged with, and is something that is truly transcendent, is they were together. embodied presence is so crucial to our withward rhythms and that is something that we have felt keenly disrupted in the past 18 months that we have not been able to gather together consistently without any restrictions for many of us this may be our first time in church in 18 months for some we are still waiting we are still waiting to come back and continue to have the screen between us and them The technology is good. It has allowed us to stay connected when there is absolutely no way that we should have been together in the early days of the pandemic. As waves come and go and as we try and figure out the best science for preventing the disease, the technology has been fantastic for staying together. But it's certainly no substitute for when we can meet together. Being together in church, gathering in homes and in parks, is crucial to who we are as a community. Please be wise, please be safe, looking out for the vulnerable in the community when you attempt to gather, but please do attempt to come. Because this fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, it is not a passive word, it is not just about simply sitting and being together and there you have fellowship. For the word, it embodies a meaning of partnership, of participation. It is active, it is dynamic, it is alive. When we gather together in fellowship, we participate in life together. We engage, we dialogue, we help each other and encourage. We mourn with those who mourn. We celebrate with those who are filled with joy. When we gather in this place, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, it brings us into movement with each other to engage in life and live it together not only in this place, but of course outside these walls, because wherever two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus says, I will also be there. And we gather together for more than just this worship, more than just the large gatherings of togetherness, but it is also for intimate friendship. It is a place where we can be that work in progress that we talked about last week, understanding that there is sin and brokenness and imperfection in our lives, and it's okay. You don't have to hide it here. We can embrace our brokenness because when we come into this place as together, as a community, I would hope that we are met with grace and forgiveness because this is a space full of broken people but full of forgiven people. And when we come together in this level of friendship, when we embrace the fact that we are still growing and developing and working out our salvation and our own personal sense of call, when we do that together, we find out so much more about who we are when we are with other people than just ourselves. For our community, our togetherness, our withward rhythms are interdependent on one another. If we were just on our own, we would still grow. But how much more do you grow by talking to other people, hearing different ideas, learning different stories, hearing the dynamic ways that God has moved in someone else's life that you didn't even think was possible but now are excited to experience for yourself? Togetherness. And that is something that we cannot prescribe a formula to. We cannot simply sit down and create an agenda for friendship and follow through points one, two, three, and four and feel like we had a productive friendship meeting. It's an organic process. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. It requires you to be vulnerable and open yourself up. But vulnerability encourages vulnerability from others. And sometimes we have to take that first step But we can do so in courage, knowing that we are all saved under the same grace. And it is that grace that brings us here. And it finds, perhaps, no better expression than at the table. And there are two, two types of gathering around the table that are mentioned here in the book of Acts, two types of rhythms that we might live into. And I'll start with the second one mentioned that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. To share a meal, to sit around the table and enjoy food, is one of the best ways to get to know someone. For we all truly love food, I think. We enjoy eating, we enjoy sharing in the foods we love and sitting around the table and talking and sharing that life together. And the thing about sharing at the table of inviting people into your home is that's the first step of vulnerability because you are welcoming someone into your space into your inner life when someone walks through your door or perhaps you when you go into someone's house you can't help but look around now what kind of pictures do they have on the wall that's an interesting paint choice i would have put the tv over there we begin to look at the ways that they live, and it's not necessarily malicious, but we are, we are learning so much about who they are based on how their home is set, the food they lay out, and their, their dinnertime practices. So when you host someone, you're inviting someone into that space and giving them free reign of your life, in a sense. It's vulnerable. And also, when you attend, there's a bit of vulnerability as well. You don't know exactly what might be expected of you. Is it expected that I do the dishes? As the guest? am I supposed to pray? Is this a serve yourself from the pot or pass your plate to the head of the table and they'll scoop it out? What kind of dinnertime conversation do they have? Because I can certainly assure you that there's been very few times where I've been at someone's house and it's been the same type of dinnertime conversation that we have at my house. Because growing up, my dad was a veterinarian, so we got all the good, gross stories that would make someone's stomach turn. And so we learn about each other in this space. We invite them in. And by sharing a meal, it is sharing our wealth, our resources, what we have available. It is about making sure that everyone has enough, that all are fed. And in the early church, They did something radical for in greco-roman society you did not mix class you did not mix culture you did not mix language and occupation jews ate with jews greeks ate with greeks free romans ate with free romans slaves ate with slaves people did not mix at the dinner table that was a place for you to be among your own your people people that came from the same background, the same social class, the same jobs. There was no uncomfortableness because everyone knew how to act, how to be. Expectations were always met. There was nothing unsuspecting. But the message of Jesus turns that upside down. It invites everyone to the table. Whether you are rich or poor, slave or free, Jew or Greek, man or woman, there are no divisions. Everyone has an equal seat at the table. Everyone gets the same food. Everyone is worthy of enough. For all are equal in deserving of that dignity. No exceptions. And it is this practice of shared meals of coming together and gathering in homes and opening up and making sure that everyone has enough in the community that likely flows out of coming to the table, the Lord's table, the Eucharist communion. Because all those divisions of Greco-Roman society were thrown out the window at the Lord's supper. It picks apart all those divisions. Paul goes to great lengths in all of his letters to assure people that no matter who you are, Christ has died and risen for you and saved you, and you are welcome to the table. Everything that kept people apart was gone. There is no longer separation. But of course, this does not mean that when we come to the Lord's table, we are all the exact same. We are all just Christians. No, we bring everything of who we are. We bring our gender, our background, our language, our culture, our jobs, our family, everything of who we are comes there, but nothing prevents us from coming to the table. We all share that sameness of our sinfulness and the grace, but bring our unique identities to it we all, no matter who we are or where we have come from, come to the Lord's table broken and walk away healed. It encourages us, when we come to this Lord's table, to be more gracious, to be more vulnerable, to be more open when we host in our lives. Because what is more risky than setting out a table of food and not knowing who is to come? Or if we make a large meal, but we're unsure if we are going to have guests, we run the risk of the food spoiling and going bad. Or perhaps maybe people aren't, that do show up don't quite like what's on the table. There's a risk involved. But it is so small a risk compared to setting out the table with your own body, with your own flesh and blood, to undergoing a painful crucifixion so that we might come to this table and be saved. Jesus took the ultimate risk in hospitality to welcome us into the kingdom, into his father's house, into life and community with him by dying on the cross for us. By laying it out there and saying, come as you are, take, eat, take and drink. This is for you. Knowing full well that we had every possibility to walk away from this table. But all it takes is to be sorry and repentant for our sins, to come and share this meal together, this meal that Jesus furnished with his own body. And it makes us ask ourselves, could our standards be similar? Could they be so singular when we want to meet with people in our community, in our church, to welcome people in? Could it be so easy to say, They are repentant of their sins. They love Jesus and are being renewed each and every day. Let us live life together. That's it. Full stop. No other checkpoints need to be passed. No other questions need to be answered. That is all that is required to be in community. And so what would our life look like if we allowed communion to shape our withward, our community practices in such a way. The means by which we build our community to come together in our deficiencies, to encourage and lift each other up, knowing that we all arrived at the table just as broken. To embrace that koinonia, that partnership, to lay down our time and energy and resources for the benefit of others, knowing that they are in desperate need of grace just as we are. And no amount of time or success or money can replace that need or desire. And it requires some of us that are on the higher end of the socioeconomic ladder, that are on the higher end of power in our society because our society is unequal, it is an unjust society. It means to lay down our sense of rights and belonging, that we have earned and deserve more. And we need to banish from our minds the idea that any relationship within our church community, within our koinonia, is about give and take. Because no one takes anything in this church community. They simply give and receive. Because we do not come to communion, though we do use the language of taking but it is truly something that we receive unto us from God, freely given. No one loses anything. Christ has lost nothing by setting this table for us. He only endlessly gains followers, disciples. And so when we empty ourselves for our community, we do not lose anything, but our community gains, grows stronger by ensuring that everyone has enough. Everyone has enough food, housing, clothing, friendship. We only win together. So our withward rhythms invite us to invest in this community, not because we are the best, but perhaps because as a community we best understand what it means to be broken and the grace that is extended at this table. And there are no shortages of opportunities to gather and to live into this it is not just these sunday mornings that we come to this place and we empty ourselves out for one another but there are plenty of opportunities to gather through the week to host dinners for new members or someone that you just haven't had a chance to get to know but you see them every sunday just sitting in different corners of the church there are opportunities for ministry starting up again in september gems cadets catechism nursery youth book studies or perhaps just being together with no particular agenda, but to make time to sit around, enjoy a nice cup of coffee and to spend time and life together. But it does require us to give, it certainly does. It requires our time, our energies, our attentions, our money, our resources, everything that we are. And we can think that I'm not ready, I don't have enough But being in community does not require perfection or expertise, perhaps. It just requires the willingness to be present. Just be present at this table together. And in being present, we participate in the ministry and are called into action. For this is a community that is not born out of obligation, expectation, but a community that is born out of being free and forgiven people. And that is our encouragement. That there is no prescribed formula, way of doing things, there is really no wrong way to do community, so long as it is born out of the freedom and grace that we each receive at the table. So going into this week, Let us prepare our hearts to come together as a church in Holy Communion next Sunday. Let us think about what it really means to be a people broken, but a people redeemed and saved by the vulnerability that Jesus showed us in setting the table with his own body. And let us think as we go through the week in everything that we do, in our jobs, in our family, in our hobbies, How does the table inform what I am doing? How does it grow friendship, community, brothers and sisters? How does it grow that active koinonia that Christ has freely invited us into? Let us pray. God Almighty, we thank you so much for the gift of the table. Something that we did not ask for, but so desperately needed that you provided us with a means of coming together no matter who we are. That when we come to the table, there are no divisions, only your unifying grace. And God Almighty, as we go into this week, as we head back into September, as schools start, as ministry in the church picks up again, as our community circles begin to widen again, I pray that each and every one of us may approach these communities with a sense of freedom to participate, to encourage, to grow, and to love. with a grace that only comes from participating in your body, in your blood, in your sacrifice, our risen Lord Jesus. Amen.